We're going to be doing a bit of uh, teaching and a bit of preaching this morning. We're going, the message is titled, Peace in Us. Peace in Us. Mankind has always been looking for peace. As a people, as, as humanity, peace has been very difficult to come by. There have been many wars, there have been many disagreements, there has been little peace in, in family units because there is something about peace that it is very fleeting unless God has something to do with it because we need Jesus. We need him in us to have true peace. John 14 and 25, Jesus is uh, speaking some of his last words to his disciples. And he said, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. I'm still here. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's something about the peace that God gives. There's something about the peace that we can have through Jesus Christ. It's interesting when we look at Jesus' words in the context of of, of what was going on in the world at the time. The thing is, the world at the time of Jesus' life and ministry, and particularly the Roman Empire, which had rule, which was the major world power at that time, was already at peace. They were under what is known as the Pax Romana. And so just letting you know a little bit about what that is um, from uh, Wikipedia. Pax Romana is Latin for Roman peace and was the long period of relative peace and minimal expansion by military force experienced by the Roman Empire in the 1st and 2nd centuries AD. Since it was established by Augustus, Caesar Augustus, it is sometimes called Pax Augusta. Its span was approximately 206 years, from 27 BC to 180 AD, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Pax Romana is said to have been a miracle because prior to it, there had never been peace for so many centuries in a given period of human history. However, peace is not what one finds when you look into it a bit deeper. Arthur M. Eckstein writes that the period needs to be seen in contrast with the much more frequent warfare that occurred in the Roman Republic in the 4th and 3rd centuries BC. Eckstein also notes that the Pax Romana appeared during the Republic and that, it, um, and that the actual peace varied with different geographical regions as well. The fact is that Roman peace was emerging in large regions of the Mediterranean at a much earlier date than those. Sicily after 210 BC, Peninsula Italy after 200 BC, the Po Valley after 190 BC, most of Spain after 133 BC, North Africa after 100 BC, 
and for uh, even longer stretches of time in the Greek East. So in the time when Jesus was walking this earth, the world in general was undergoing peace that it had never known before. Peace that, that, you know, you would say, okay, well, why is Jesus talking about peace? There was peace all around them. Jesus was born into and preached in a world that was already experiencing unprecedented peace. But Jesus was saying that the peace that the world brings is only temporary. It's only temporary. Because he's saying, I'm not going to give you peace like the world. I'm going to give you real peace. Because in the world, often there is peace on the surface, but there are things boiling down underneath the surface that are threatening to blow up in people's faces. That is natural peace. That is peace between nations, especially ones that have had a history of conflict. The Jews were officially at peace with the Romans, but there was general unrest across the nation and even rebellion against the Romans, particularly in things like um, taxes. They, They hated that. They didn't want to be brought under that. They considered that to be um, unlawful according to the Jewish law. This eventually led to a full Jewish revolt in 66 AD, which was ended in AD 70 when the Roman general Titus reclaimed Jerusalem and burned down the Second Temple. We know that there have been many, many wars and much fighting in the 2,000 years since Jesus' birth both on a local Jewish basis and also beyond. For example, the Six-Day War between Israel and the Arabs and World War I and II, which spread across the, the majority of the known world. And the resolution of those wars often led to festering sores, especially on the part of the losing side of the war. For example, World War II was very much a product of how World War I was resolved and the restrictions that were put on the German states. Yes, there were multiple factors, but Hitler was able to use a lot of the built-up resentment towards the Allied nations to help bring himself to power. And once he got to power, there was only going to be one outcome. Just because a war has been resolved or fighting has stopped doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and roses And everybody is happy with everybody else. But resentment and hate often continue and fester and get worse until it returns far worse than it was before. And it's the same thing in in families. Yeah, there might be a a cessation of of hostility, as as the term likes to be, or just a, a stop to the fighting, but... There's still hurts that don't get dealt with. There's, there's still things that go on. And it often um, comes out at, at, at the most inopportune moments. Jesus was saying that the peace that he, the comforter, will bring is better. It's far superior than the temporary peace that the world brings. That's why he said, I'm not going to give you peace like the world is. There's stuff going on under the surface there. Things don't get healed. Things don't truly get healed. But Jesus does a work in our hearts. Jesus gets down deeper. Jesus brings a peace inside that then comes out to others. Jesus himself said that he wasn't interested in bringing peace to the entire world. In Matthew 10 and 34, it says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. 
For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It seems really strange that Jesus would say something like that. Especially when Jesus preached sermons where he called his followers to love their enemies. And the prophecy by the angels on the night of Jesus' birth was that there was going to be peace on earth. In Luke 2.13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, this is to the, the shepherds, they appeared to just shepherds um, as they were minding their flocks by night. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I believe that Jesus was directly responding to misconceptions about what the common Jew believed that the angels meant that night. He wasn't going to bring peace like they thought. They believed, the common Jew believed that the Messiah would come and free them from restrictive Roman rule. That the Messiah would bring peace to the Jewish nation and freedom from the oppression that they felt. And many believed that Jesus was that Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah, but not the kind of Messiah that the average Jew wanted and were crying out for. Jesus' kingdom was always going to be a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, which meant that following Jesus was not going to be easily understood by or in agreement with the normal person on the street around them. This would lead to friction between the follower of Jesus and the world around them, even people in their own family, which is why he said that he wasn't come to send peace on earth. But Jesus was saying that his kingdom was more important than what the world thought of his kingdom. He was saying being in his kingdom is more important than your family. It's more important than anything else because it's salvation, because it's following God, because it's doing, it's pleasing God, it's doing what he, he desires us to do. Jesus' kingdom was not a natural kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. His kingdom would lead to life, but it would be resisted by the world because it didn't fit in with the value systems of the world around them. See, our world has always been warped. Our world has always been pushing against what God wants in the earth. The world wants to do what it wants to do. The value systems of the world are completely opposed to the word of God. So what peace on earth did Jesus actually bring to the world? Why was there that prophecy by the angels? We have an answer in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1 and 20, talking about Jesus and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. The peace on earth is between God and mankind. 
Jesus died on the cross to make a way that we could live without sin, that we could be freed from sin, that we could be delivered from this world and its systems and our our flesh and, and everything that holds us bound. He gave us himself so that we could rise above all of that and have peace with God. And that is the only peace that makes any difference. That is the only peace that is that that, that is, is important. Mankind has always been rebelling and fighting against God, his word, and his ways. Mankind has always been sinful since the fall of Adam and Eve. And sin always brings a separation and a friction and a conflict between a righteous God and a fallible mankind. Mankind that can fall and make mistakes and walk away from God by choice. But with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, a new way was made where all could have the power to live a victorious life in service to God, bringing an unprecedented peace between God and mankind for all who would walk in his ways. We talk about unprecedented peace. It wasn't the Pax Romana. It was the peace that could now be had between God and man. That's the peace on earth that was missing. That's the peace on earth that God came to this earth to to bring. And not only between God and mankind, but Jesus showed his disciples, who would be the first of the new breed of followers of God, that he would give peace in any situation. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 And the same day, when the even or evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. This is Jesus. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hind or the back part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. He was exhausted after preaching. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And well, don't you care that we're going to die? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples, who had at least four incredibly experienced fishermen among them, thought that the storms around them would overwhelm them and they would sink to the bottom. They had experience. They'd seen storms. They knew storms. They knew of stories where other ships had sunk. They knew the most probable end result, the expected outcome of being in the sea, in that storm. They tried everything to the best of their knowledge and ability, but that was exhausted. Their last act of desperation was to call on Jesus. It's typical that we often try to do things in our own strength first and talk to Jesus about it only when the situation is desperate. Jesus only had to speak three words to turn the entire situation around. Peace, be still. Jesus will bring peace into any situation that we find ourselves in, even if we're about to lose everything. His power is not limited. 
our situations that we find ourselves in, sometimes that we get ourselves in, He is more powerful. He is able to overcome. He is able to bring peace into any situation in our lives. He will make everything change in a moment, so we wonder what all the fuss was about beforehand. When Jesus' disciples were just starting to grasp the full truth of who he was, right at the end of his ministry, Jesus let them know beforehand that difficult times were coming. John 16 and 29, his disciples said unto him, Lo, now you're speaking plainly, and you're not speaking in proverbs or parables. Now are we sure that you know all things, and you don't need that any man should ask you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour comes, yes, and is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Hang on. Jesus told them that they were going to be scattered, every man to his own, and would leave Jesus alone so that they would have peace. Those two things don't seem to be compatible. They don't go together. Disciples, you're going to fail miserably, but I've told you this now so that you'll have peace about it. Even though he knew that his disciples were going to fail him, forsake him, he forewarned them and let them know that through it all he was going to give them peace. Jesus doesn't leave us in condemnation for our mistakes, our failings, or our sins. He forgives us when we repent and turn to him again and brings peace to our hearts. You see, when Jesus came back to his disciples after being raised from the dead, the first thing that he brought was peace, even though they had all run away and forsaken him in his greatest hour of need. Jesus told them that it was going to happen, and sure enough, it happened. John 20 and 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, You rotten scoundrels. No. He said, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. And when he had, this is the first time that they had seen him. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He had already forgotten the past and now he was looking to the future to send them out into this world to preach. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see the hand, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the middle, and said, 
peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, reach hither your finger and behold my hands and reach here your hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Even though Thomas didn't believe that Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, Jesus still brought peace to him. Even though it was only Thomas who hadn't seen Jesus in the second gathering, he still made sure to bring peace to Thomas personally. We have a personal God and Saviour. He doesn't just bring peace to us collectively as a church, but even if there is only one person who needs an extra special touch, he will bring peace to that person. We serve an amazing, powerful, personal God who cares about each individual person individually. We have a God that makes an effort to reach out to even just one person in a message over the pulpit to let them know that he knows where they're at and that he has everything in control. Jesus makes it clear that just one person is important in his sight. At one stage, Jesus' disciples asked him who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, so that they would feel proud that they were hopefully the greatest, or that they would know what they needed to strive for to make themselves the greatest. But Jesus turned it all around. In Matthew 18, 1, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the middle of them, and said, Verily, or truly, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He was saying, You're not ready yet. You need to be saved. You need to, to get close to me in a completely different way. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receives me. Not only did Jesus not name any names, which must have been disappointing to disciples like Peter, James and John, but he also said that they shouldn't try to take leadership either. The disciples were squabbling between themselves around that time about who would be the greatest. But Jesus brought peace to that situation by saying that they needed to humble themselves to be great. They needed to be like someone, a child, who needed to be led themselves. Like someone who has no power over anybody else, who has no authority, rather than lording over other people. Jesus brought peace to that situation in an unexpected way. But then he continued and he went further. In Matthew 18 and a few verses down in verse 10, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Still talking about the child. For I say unto you, that in heaven the angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think you, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine, and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus was saying that 
He didn't just care about the leaders, but he cared about everyone in his kingdom, even the smallest child, even the newest saint in the church, even the one that doesn't really know what they're doing in following Jesus, even the person who seems to have nothing to offer to make the church better. He will make a special effort to reach out to those who need it the most. That's powerful because it means that nobody is forgotten in God's kingdom. There is nobody that is outside of God's side. There is nobody that's, that's not important enough for God to say, I know where you're at. I love you. I reach out to you. Come. Come close to me. Everybody is special and important enough that Jesus will reach out and try to minister to them where they are at. The situation, the circumstance, how they feel, what they feel inside. Jesus knows it all. We unfortunately always have the option of rejecting Jesus, but he will always reach out, even if you're the least important person in the church. And Jesus applied the same principle to those who aren't following him as well. In fact, he gave the same parable. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, Then drew near unto him, unto Jesus, all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Sinners were those who either deliberately chose to do the wrong thing against God's law or were unable to free themselves from things that God had told them in the Bible were wrong. And publicans, well, a publican is a tax collector. The disciple Matthew used to be one. Publicans were set up by the Romans and hated by all people. Publicans had a history of cheating people and making themselves rich. As, as the Bible uh, records in Luke chapter 19, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press. Your money isn't going to, isn't going to uh, satisfy you. Only Jesus will satisfy. He sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. He was a little, he wasn't very tall. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, the one out of 99, the one who was, was not with him in the crowd, the one who just was interested in Jesus, the one who, who actually had something stirring in his heart, and Jesus pointed him out, singled him out. And when Jesus, he looked up and saw him, said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, 
And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. It was a common thing for publicans to do that. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. He was a Jew. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Once again, he talks about seeking and saving that which is lost. So Jesus was saying in his parable when he ate with tax collectors and sinners that they are important enough for God to reach out for. Even the most hated person in the world, even the worst sinner, God will reach, specially reach out in grace to the one in a hundred if they will hear and if they will believe. And when you put it all together, nobody is too far away from God that he won't reach out to you personally and individually. Those who are small, insignificant, children, know that they have no apparent great value. Jesus reaches out to you. Those who are hated, those who are deliberately doing the wrong thing or drowning in addictions and all types of sin, Jesus reaches out to you. Jesus reaches out to all, to everybody who will allow themselves to be found. The Bible talks about bringing peace to us, to all those who will follow his ways. Philippians 4 and 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Joy is a commodity in short supply in the world around us. Outside of Jesus, joy is fleeting. Joy is momentary. But in Jesus, there is a joy. You can rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what situation, you've got Jesus with you. You've got Jesus inside. You've got Jesus looking after you. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. And to God, we can bring all of our cares, our hurts, our frustrations to Jesus. And he will look after us. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace in the middle of the worst trials and storms in your life. A peace that when everything else is chaotic around you, that's the peace, kind of peace that Jesus offers to us. There are too, too many people in the world who have no peace, cannot find peace, no option of peace. There's chaos within themselves, chaos outside of themselves. But Jesus offers peace inside us first and then spreading out. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Don't let your mind dwell on the bad things, the negative things, the things that will pull you down. But just like a little child who has absolute faith and trust in their parents, we should place all of our faith and trust in Jesus, who will never let us down. Who looks after us personally and individually, 
and God will give us peace within ourselves. If you always dwell, if you always think on the bad, the negative, the bad things that could happen to you in the future, you won't be able to have peace or joy. That's why it tells us to think on the things that are true and honest and just, pure, lovely, and of good report. If there's virtue, if there's praise to God, because bad thinking will drag you down. But thinking on Jesus, thinking on what he's done for us, when you pray about it and actually place everything in Jesus' hands and think on his power and goodness to love you and how he's brought you through in times past and will do it again, you can't help but be uplifted. You can't help but have peace in any situation because you realize that he really does have everything in control. It's all about how we approach the situation. If we're all doom and gloom, then we're not trusting in Jesus and we're not like the little child that we need to be. But when we deliberately view everything everything through the lens of Jesus, we see a different perspective where he has everything that we need and the peace that we desperately need for our situation. God is in the business of bringing peace to his people. That is one reason among many that God has also called us to peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, Jesus offers us to peace, but he also wants us to extend that peace to our brothers and sisters. It shouldn't be that we have fighting amongst us because he has given us peace. We should be able to extend that peace to our brothers and sisters. We should be able to look over a few things. We should be able to forgive things that have hurt us. Colossians 3 and 12, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. Mercies that come from within, not just superficially, but within ourselves. Kindness, humbleness of mind, not thinking that we're better than anybody else. Meekness, long-suffering, long-suffering. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. What has Jesus forgiven us for? How have we hurt him through the way that we've lived, through the way that we have rejected him, the way that we have resisted him? And he forgave it all. He forgave it all. We can extend that same thing to our brothers and to our sisters in the church. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. Not just forgiving, but loving. Actually feeling good towards them. Actually wanting them to grow in God. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You can't have peace if there's no peace between your brothers and sisters, because there's no peace within yourself. When you do that, you let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. We're one body, church. We should all work together. We should all be able to work together. I can't imagine if, if you've got a, a fist that, that's against the rest of the body. Someone beating themselves up, literally. We need to have our respect and love towards our brothers and sisters. And be thankful. It's very hard to be resentful if you're thankful to God. It's very hard. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraging one another, not tearing one another down, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You can't tear someone else down in the name of the Lord Jesus because he doesn't call us to that. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And lastly, God is in the business of bringing peace between all races, skin colours, differences of social status, everyone. Ephesians 2 and 11. Wherefore remember that you being in the time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. It's talking about Gentiles, which is us and Jews, on the other hand. The Jews were given the promises of God from way back, but Gentiles were not given those same promises. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. We didn't have any hope, church. Unless we were a Jew, we didn't have any hope. But Jesus has brought us all together into one. For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. And for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's all we need to have the same chief cornerstone. In him all the building fitly framed together. That's all people, all races, all nationalities, all social statuses, all, all levels of intelligence, everything. He is brought together, all together, to grow unto a holy temple in the Lord. If God can break down the walls between Jews and uncircumcised Gentiles who were always at friction with one another, then he can bring all races together into one body in peace. And if you look around the church today, you will see this church. You, you will see many different nationalities. We have over 20 different nationalities in this local church here because Jesus brings all who will come. Jesus reaches out to all who uh, need, uh, need help, need to be saved. God never meant the church to be all one colour or nationality. He wants all to be able to come and receive peace from him. If I could get someone to the piano, please. Jesus offers peace. Nowhere else can you find peace in this world. They set up worldwide organizations to bring peace, the United Nations, but it doesn't bring peace. It brings a stop to hostilities, but it doesn't bring peace. You can go to marriage counselors and, 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 and family counselors, but they can only bring 
a stop to fighting to a certain extent, but they don't get down into the heart. They don't heal things. Maybe you're finding peace lacking in your life. If you're not following Jesus, then you really don't have peace, and you know it in your life. There's turmoil. There's unforgiveness. There's all sorts of things going on that you can't reconcile. You can't make better yourself. You can go to psychologists. You can go to psychiatrists. You, you can do everything that this world has to offer and still be empty and lacking and, and full of, of turmoil and hate inside. Maybe you're being tossed and turned every which way by life and don't know which way is up or down or left or right. Maybe you find yourself in an impossible situation that is consuming you from the inside out. Jesus wants to bring peace into your very situation today. He offers peace. In the Old Testament, one of the prophecies about Jesus is that he's going to be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus comes to bring peace. Peace on this earth, not by, by changing the world, but by changing us. Peace between us and God. Peace between us and others that you cannot normally have. Just like he said, peace be still to the storm that experienced fishermen couldn't handle, that was threatening to destroy the disciples. He wants to speak peace still into your situation. No one is excluded. Jesus reaches out to you this morning. We talked about how no one is excluded. Jesus reaches out to everybody who will listen, everybody who needs peace, everybody who needs something from him this morning. You're not excluded by your race, your skin color, your age. You're standing in society or your pocketbook. Jesus invites all to come and receive peace from him. It doesn't matter how you felt him before or even recently. Jesus reaches out to you this morning, individually and personally. You just have to respond to his call. He knows you. He knows your situation. He wants you to bring you, you back into his fold with the other 99 sheep. And if you've never experienced salvation and being a part of God's flock in the first place, being a part of God's church, the invitation is to you this morning. I'm going to open up the front of this church. We usually refer to it as the altar. But it's a place where you can come and talk to Jesus. You can talk to him about your life. You can talk to him about your situations. And you can find peace this morning. You can't find peace in this world. There's no peace, just festering resentment under a facade of peace. Just a mask that people put on. Jesus is the only one who offers true peace that goes down into your very soul and flows out of you. Not something that you have to try and put in you, but it goes in deep and it comes out. Just like the soil that Sister Emma talked about this morning gets in deep. It grows and it comes out in a beautiful way. Why don't you come and let him bring peace into your situation this morning?
Even if it seems impossible, Jesus is the peace speaker. He can say, peace be still, to something that is impossible in your eyes. If you would stand this morning.